Amen. Thank you so very much. Good morning. So good to be with you as we're worshiping our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Love for you now to take your Bible, turn on your device, whichever it might be, and make your way now to the last chapter of the book of Acts, where in chapter 28, verse 7, down to verse 16, we're going to be exploring uh, a passage that deals with what I'm going to call the detours of life that come our way on life's journey, where the Apostle Paul is in a situation that he never had anticipated, a place that he never had visited before, dealing with people that he'd never encountered before, and somehow, someway, he's going to have to be able to be in the now and minister effectively where God places him at that particular point in time in his life. Maybe that's where you're at this morning, and so I'd love for you now to explore this with me. We're picking it up here in the heart of these summer days, Acts 28, beginning with verse 7, down to verse 16. We find these words. Now, in the neighborhood of that place were lands belonging to the chief man of the island named Publius, Publius, who received us and entertained us hospitably for three days. It happened that the father, Publius, lay sick with fever and dysentery. And Paul visited him and prayed. And putting his hands on him, healed him. And when this had taken place, the rest of the people on the island who had diseases also came and were, and were cured. They also honored us greatly. And when we were about to sail, they put on board whatever we needed. Now, after three months, we set sail on a ship that had wintered in the island, a ship of Alexandria with the twin gods as a figurehead. Putting in at Syracuse, we stayed there for three days. From there, we made a circuit and arrived at Regium. And after one day, a south wind sprang up, and on the second day, we came to Puglioli. And there we found brothers, and were invited to stay with them for seven days. And so we came to Rome. And the brothers there, when they heard about us, came as far as the form of Appius on three taverns to meet us. And on seeing them, Paul thanked God and took courage. And when we came into Rome, Paul was allowed to stay by himself with the soldier who guarded him. So we're going to explore these verses now. And we're going to be asking, how is it that what we have just read, what we're about to study, how does all of this relate to the way we go about living our lives today as we look to our Lord now in prayer? Father, you know the needs of each one here. You understand the issues that we've just gone through in recent days. You are the sovereign one, and you can take whatever we experience and turn it into something that we could never have anticipated in terms of blessings, 
powerful impact, high influence for your honor, for your glory. You're the one who's the strategist. You are the one with the sovereign plans. And we turn to you in our point of need. For the one father watching online this morning or throughout the coming days, for the one in one of these services physically present, and maybe father finds himself, considers himself, herself, spiritually curious, but in reality has not crossed that threshold into saving faith, personal relationship with you through Jesus Christ. Might consider himself, herself a religionist. Might view himself, herself as a secularist. But something's happening. The mind's getting engaged with things that matter most. They've encountered experiences that were not part of their, of their, of their schedule. And now, Father, they're thinking about how this fits into their tomorrows. The one that does not know Christ as Lord and Savior, we pray that there is this breakthrough. And they put faith and trust exclusively in Jesus and him alone for salvation. For those that know you, we pray that we take, we take what you have taught us and accept the fact that we are not called to be biblical consumers. We are to be full-fledged multipliers of disciples of Jesus Christ. We have a purpose, and your purpose is to be our purpose. So, Father, these moments are important as we explore your word together in these final verses of the book of Acts. We're asking that you meet us at our point of need. Warm these hearts. Engage these minds. Shape these wills. As again, our Father, we've come here, we've come here to see Jesus and Him only. We're praying these things again now in Jesus' name. Amen. Like you, driving down the roads of this county, again and again and again, seeing one sign after another that is uh, says detour. Detour. You're being shifted off the road that you were on. You find yourself on a different road now. Only to find another sign that says road closed and another detour. Swinging out onto the highway only to find one cone after another yellow. And you're making your way, navigating your way from where you are to where you need to be. In one of those moments, coming home uh, for a brief dinner before returning from meetings at night, I pulled off to the side and I began to jot down all the examples of detours found in the scriptures. There was that time where Moses, positioned in the courts of Pharaoh find himself fleeing and now for 40 years is experiencing one long detour 
where his journey has taken him now into a setting where his tendency might be to ask, why am I here? How did I get here? And could I redo what has been done? Ever been there? But you see, while tending the sheep in the wilderness, all of that was preparation by God for the point in time when Moses would return to that wilderness, shepherding the sheep of God, you see, the Israelites. As I jotted down my thoughts in the midst of the detours of this region, what I penned was something that I want to apply to my own personal life, that the detours in life might be God's design for life. Let me say it again. That the detours of life might be God's design for life. Paul spends time in the Arabian desert. Things have not gone well. He retreats, but the purpose of retreat is to return, not retreat and remain in the desert, but rather to take the time, not to waste the time, but to invest the time so as to return and re-engage in ministry wholeheartedly for God's glory. Now, I would say to you, if you're prone to retreat, invest, don't waste, and return to the battlefield of life. Paul does. The detours of life, in many cases, are simply God's design for life. And what I want to do with you now is to draw out three considerations about the way in which the detours of life are, in fact, the design of life on life's journey. And first of all, in order to be able to get a full sense of what this is about, let's take a look at a map. And with this map, what you and I find is that Paul has experienced shipwreck. Fourteen days of intense, challenging experiences out on the Mediterranean, where dark days seemed as though they were nothing but night after night after night. You ever been there? And now he finds himself on an island that he never had been there before, doesn't know the people, and the question is, will he waste his time or will he invest his time? But you see, the detours of life are part of the designs for life. And watch how he makes his way, according to the promise that God had delivered him previously, up through Syracuse, on through Regium, until eventually he gets to the harbor Putioli. He is there now in Rome. And when he gets to Rome, he is about to experience the fulfillment of the promise that God had given to him in Roman, excuse me, in Acts chapter 23, 11. Take courage, for as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must testify also in Rome. He will minister on Malta, and then he will minister in Rome. He does not skip over Malta saying, but this is not my design to simply wait till he gets to Rome and then with sleeves rolled up, re-engage. 
what you and I have got to accept is that there are the Maltas of our world as well as the Romans of our world, and God calls upon us to minister effectively in the here and the now for God's glory. So now let's take a look with me at this passage of Scripture, draw three considerations about the detours of life on life's journey, and consider, first of all, with me what I would describe as the surprising opportunities God is preparing for us. The shipwreck had to be a disappointment. He was weary. He's tired. His output has most likely exceeded his input. But now, but now, 276 people on that ship making their way inland were told that in the neighborhood of that place were lands belonging to the chief man of the island. His name? His name's Publius. Governor, who received us and entertained us hospitably for three days. Now, at this point, Paul's got to ask, why am I here? What's my purpose? Why am I going through what I'm going through? And who is this man that you have now put in my life for such a time as this? This is not an accident in time. This is an appointment with time. God in his sovereignty allows the following to occur. Verse 8. It happened. It happened that the father of Publius lay sick with fever and dysentery. Richard Longenecker, in his commentary on the book of Acts, tells us that this was common occurrence on the Isle of Malta and that in goat's milk, there was a microbe that again and again and again created such symptoms. And so now, here we find the Apostle Paul, and let's just say for the sake of it all, his output has truly exceeded his input. You ever been there? You have given and you have given and you have given of yourself. You're wearied. He has just gone through a storm. And now he finds himself in a situation where he still has to give more of himself. He could use a little input. Instead, he's been detoured to give further output. You've been there? Publius is there. His father's laying sick with fever and dysentery. And rather than retreating from, he re-engages with the ministries of life. And Paul visited him prayed, putting his hands on him, healed him. Apostolic authority. Why am I here, Lord? What's the purpose of all this, Lord? How does all this come about, Lord? And why do I experience such such detours? Road closures, yellow cones in the midst of my journeys. Richard Van Brandt, the author of Tortured for Christ, was a hardened atheist. There was an elderly carpenter in the mountains of Romania who would pray this way, Lord, I've served you on earth and I wish and I wish to have my reward in heaven. 
But I also wish my reward be such that I not die until I, I bring a Jew to Jesus Christ because Jesus was from the Jewish people. One day, Rembrandt tells us, while he found what you and I might describe as one road closure after another, trying to get from where he was to where he thought he needed to be, he was drawn to a particular village out of 12,000 other villages which had no Jew. And seeing that he was a Jew, Rembrandt later noted that this elderly carpenter continued to engage with me and invest in me. And he prayed for hours for my conversion, gave me a Bible, and particularly the Old Testament, for me to read. Until, you and I are told, Rembrandt was finally saved. What God had done was to set up a series of roadblocks. What God had done was to detour Rembrandt's forward movement until God had sovereignly positioned Vermbrandt to be where Vermbrandt needed to be because Vermbrandt, in turn, would impact a host of people in what was then east of the Iron Curtain, leading countless people to saving faith in Jesus Christ in the midst of communism during those days. And his life, in fact, was threatened. Messianic Jewish pastor as he was all because of what might have been viewed as a chance encounter with an elderly carpenter, when in reality, the small beginning produced extraordinarily large dividends for the kingdom of heaven. Here now is Paul. Why am I here on Malta? I want to be in Rome. I am meeting with this man, elderly man, who is sick with dysentery. What's the purpose of all this? You ever grapple in the here and now with, Lord, what is the purpose of all this? I've been detoured. I've been detoured. We need a picture. And so here's a picture that can be found in the Vatican of the healing that took place on Malta. And when you have an opportunity as an evangelical Protestant to visit the Vatican as I have, you can pause and look at this painting and ponder the significance of what this passage of Scripture is teaching of how the detours of life could very well be the designs for life to make an impact that otherwise would not have been made for God's glory and the good of others. Back to the text. You're up to verse 9, aren't you? And there in verse 9, what you and I find is that out of all this then, where the output has most likely exceeded the input, he has not known what it means to be in his own bed for who knows how long. And when this had taken place, here they come. Here they come. The rest of the people on the island who had diseases also came. And were cured. 
What's interesting here is that the Greek word for healed in verse 8 is different than the word used here in verse 9. For the word used in verse 9 here, describing the ones that were cured, is the Greek word therapeuo. There is something extraordinarily therapeutic that is now happening as this man who thought he had been detoured is finding that this is part of the design. And what he thought might just be one isolated matter of medical attention in this household turns into be an island-type experience where people are coming left and right. And now the opportunity is being presented to Paul. Surprising opportunity in his life detour. God is preparing him for this. And the detours is God's way of preparing you for what comes next in the life experiences that come your way. I'm standing in the back before I have to get up to lead. It's a district conference. I've been interim superintendent, which means, in essence, you're pastor to the pastors of the district and you're chairman to the chairman of the churches of this district. And there is a professor of medicine who gets up to speak, and his name is Dr. Richard Svensson, who wrote the book Margin. It's an extraordinary book. It's a wonderful book. It's for people who have what I might describe as overextended lives. The subtitle, Restoring Emotional, Physical, Financial, and Time Resources to overloaded lives. It deals with the idea that the space that once existed in our lives no longer does. And we find ourselves reaching our limits. Margins. Is that where you're at? As I'm looking out, I'm looking at a particular pastor who has just lost a family member. And he's just been leading us in worship. And he's bringing praise to God without necessarily drawing attention to his life experience. But he is drawing attention to the God who's sovereign over life experiences. Not lost on me, as I have to introduce the speaker. As Dr. Svensson gets up, he talks about the idea that all of us have got to watch our margins. But there will be times where it seems as though life is such that the margins shrink. And then you're going to have to allow God to expand and reorganize the margins. Letty Coleman, describing her husband in this way, a missionary overseas. Nothing impressed me more than Mr. Coleman's quiet spirit. I never saw him ruffled, though at times I saw him wounded until the tears fell silently over his cheeks. He had a quiet spirit. His secret cross became his crown. You will find in life if you are a high-output Christian, 
that high output people oftentimes experience low input from other people. You're going to need time for equilibrium to be reestablished. God is about to reestablish Paul's equilibrium. You remember what happened? In the midst of the shipwreck, they had to throw the cargo overboard. All they thought was lost. They needed to be replenished, but now everything is out at sea. Look what happens next. As a result of the healings, the therapeutic ministry that's being provided, verse 10, they also honored us greatly. And when we were about to sail, they put on board whatever we needed. In other words, they just got recargoed. This is what God does to you. When your output has exceeded your input, and when you seem as though, it seems as though you've had to release your grip on what it was that would restore you. Lo and behold, in the midst of the shrinking margins of life, where you are giving more than you're taking in, somebody comes along and recargoes you. Get ready. This is how your God works. You find ways in life, you see, where even when you're overextended by life, you're extraordinarily used by God. The detours in life could very well be God's design for life. See, so you notice with me now the surprising opportunities. God's preparing for us. Get ready for it. Get ready. Well, let's go to the harbor. And there in the harbor, you're getting what I'll call recargoed. New ship comes in, old ship gone, and now they've been restored. Margins are being restored. Hearts are being restored. Bodies are being restored. And now they're being replenished to be able to move forward to the destination. Rome is the destination. And so not only do we find here that surprising opportunities God is preparing for us in the detours of life, I want to draw out a second consideration out of verses 11 through 15. It's the encouraging encounters God is providing for us. Not only the surprising opportunities that God is preparing for us, but also now the encouraging encounters that God here is providing for us. You pick it up. You're in verse 11. And there in verse 11, after this time period of three months, and Paul now is a man that's known throughout that island, the island of Malta. It's time to move on. You don't stay on Malta when your destination is Rome. After three months, we set sail in a ship that had wintered in the island, a ship of Alexandria. And then interestingly, you and I are told here at this point, 
with the twin gods as a figurehead. Now, the twin gods came out of Roman mythology. They are Castor and Pollux. And if you go to Rome, you'll be able to see these twin pillars of Castor and Pollux. They were known as the protectors of the sailors of the sea. The irony here is that the Apostle Paul knows who's the real protector of the sailors of the sea. God had already delivered a promise to the Apostle Paul that he and all the sailors would be kept safe. God is sovereign even over the false realm, the spiritually false realm, the casters and the pollexes of this world. Ironically, he will utilize a, a ship devoted to idolatry to get Paul to Rome. That's your sovereign God. Where the good news and the truth of Jesus Christ is proclaimed. And so, here now, you're up to verse 12. Putting in at Syracuse. And if you've been to Syracuse, New York, it's named after it. We stayed there for three days, you see. And when, and from there we made a circuit and arrived at Regium. And after one day, a south wind sprang up. And on the second day, on the second day, we came to Putioli, which means we got to take a look at Putioli. And now, when you get to Putioli, it is the major harbor setting for ships that are making their way onward, you see, so that people can then make their way inward into Rome. And I remember standing there at the harbor, and I was pondering, this is where the Apostle Paul arrived, fulfilling the promise that God had delivered in Acts 23, verse 11, with regard to the fact that he was to be positioned in Rome to have high impact for God's glory, global impact for God's glory. And I looked around, and there's sunbathers, people swimming, there's coming and going. And it seems as though everybody is totally oblivious to the monumental setting that they were positioned in at that point. Such is life. God does strategic works in ordinary settings. And people can go on living their lives as though nothing happened. Meanwhile, God broke in and something significant happened. He fulfilled a promise. It's part of the strategy in the ordinaries of life itself. What you do there? Do you retreat or do you re-engage? And what happens when your output has so exceeded your input and you need refreshment? Notice now the sovereign workings of God found in verse 14. And there we found brothers. In the book of Romans, Paul wrote the book of Romans in 57 AD. Paul arrives in Italy in 60 AD, three years. What he had done was to invest himself spiritually in these people a few years beforehand, and now they are coming back to invest themselves in Paul. Isn't this like God? 
you give of yourself, it might not happen immediately. In Paul's case, three years later, return on the investment. They come to Paul. And they come to Paul, and they're putting in the effort, you see, at this point, to be able to get to where the Apostle Paul is at. And so there we found brothers. And we're invited to stay with them for seven days. He's been wearied by shipwrecks, overcome by challenges. But now God in his sovereign purposes says, in essence, let me use my people to minister to your needs. And maybe that's where you're at this morning. And you're going to have to allow some others to pour into you because you've been so busy pouring into others. Equilibrium reestablished. Verse 15. And the brothers there, when they heard about us, came as far as the form of Appius. And furthermore, three taverns to meet us. This is extraordinary. There had been a Jewish community in that region for a long time. God in his sovereign purposes had put that community there for a long time. And now for such a time as this, they rise to the occasion when he least expects it. Got to take a look, don't we? So let's go to this whole Via Appia that he walked. And you're able to walk it today. And I remember seeing this particular marker, the Appian Way mile marker. And furthermore, here's the form of Appius where he would have been positioned. And so here now is the Apostle Paul, and he is about to experience fellowship with people that he has never known before, but he has corresponded with them, and now they are coming to pour into him because he has previously poured into them. God has a way of reestablishing your equilibrium when you least expect it in the detours of your life. What do you do with all this? On seeing them, what does Paul do? He's God-centered. Paul thanked God and did what? Took courage. And long before, the Lord had said to Paul, take courage. For as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must testify also in Rome. And so as the promise was made by God to Paul, Paul fulfills his responsibility to God by taking courage. And some of us this morning simply need to take courage. But have you noticed, furthermore, that the word encourage carries within it the word courage? So as they encouraged Paul, Paul took courage to serve the Lord. That's what we do for one another as we reestablish the equilibrium of life to have high impact in a way that brings glory to God. Are you experiencing that? you doing that? Rick Shannon recalls the time when he was ministering in Venezuela and says, upon arriving, we were greeted by these at the airport with the phrase, we not only welcome you with our hands, but with our heart in our hands. You almost get the feeling that that's what's happening on the Via Appia, which is known as the Queen of the Roads 
in that phrase, all roads lead to Rome. There on up you. So now, you and I are ready. We're ready for verse 16. Because in verse 16, you and I are told, and when we came into Rome, Paul was allowed to stay by himself with the soldier who guarded him. And now you're up to that third of the three considerations. Notice with me thirdly the strategic settings God is establishing for us. And now you look for some great palace. Is that what he's going to minister in? No. Is he going to be in some outstanding hotel to minister through? The answer is no. What happens? He gets this little setting. Furthermore, he's under Roman custody. Arrives in Rome. Allowed to stay by himself. And if you're looking for freedom to be able to flex, he's got a soldier that he's chained to who guarded him as he seeks margins for his life. Maybe that's where you're at this morning as well. This is where he came in. This is the setting that we might describe to, as Paul would enter into Rome. It's the Porta Capuna. And there you and I would be able to see this is the entry point where the Apostle Paul makes his way to fulfill his purposes. All you see for the glory of God. And I think about that in the way that God works all in God's time, all for God's purposes. Tolkien writes, Not all who wander are lost. Bilbo says this to Frodo. It's a dangerous business, Frodo, going out your door. You step out onto the road. If you don't keep your feet, there's no knowing where you might be swept off to. Hours before the runner in front of him, the last marathoner finally entered the Olympic Stadium. By that time, the drama of the day's events almost over, spectators almost all gone. But this is a different kind of story. Limping into the arena, the Tanzanian runner grimaced with every step, knee bleeding bandage from an earlier fall, ragged appearance, captures the attention of the few left who cheered him on to the finish line, the writer tells us. Why did he stay in the race? What made him endure his injuries rather than retreat from? When asked these questions later, here was his response. My country did not send me 7,000 miles away to start the race. They sent me 7,000 miles to finish the race. You're going to Rome, Paul, even if it means detours, which is true for us as well. Let's stand together. And so, Father, for some of us this morning, 
for those that will be watching online in the days and weeks to come, where it seems as though they have been suddenly detoured from the path that they were on. Speak to the heart. Encourage the spirit. Bring new sense of equilibrium to the soul. And reestablish margins. And allow them, Father, by your grace to get recargoed. There's more to be done. And you want to work through them for your glory. Encourage each one in all these services. Pour your spirit now upon one and all. For the one that doesn't know Christ is Lord and Savior. And this is the time. May they now put faith and trust in Jesus. For the ultimate journey. The opportunity to be with you forever. And for this, we give you all the praise. In Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you.